0: Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Reds on the Podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to discuss Liverpool's 2-0 win over Newcastle and preview the huge Champions League tie against Real Madrid.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So, Liverpool going 2-0 up against Newcastle within the first 17 minutes. By the 22nd, they were up against 10 men. And able to claim a crucial, although not entirely straightforward, victory against a top four rival in the Premier League. So myself and Chris are going to discuss that one as ever before we move on to uh, the Champions League game on Tuesday. So let's get in there with the uh, three red match reviews, Chris. And also, what did you think of the performance? Because I, I know a lot of people are maybe celebrating the results, but a little bit concerned, I guess, that they saw Liverpool give up so many chances when they had a numerical Advantage for for much of the game.
1: Hi Dave. Yeah, um, my three-way match report probably ties into that a little bit. Um, and I've gone with a frustrating win because if there was such a thing, yesterday probably was that from the Liverpool perspective. Um, even after, or even just before Nunez's goal, obviously Almiron had that great, uh, great chance, brilliant save from Allison. Yet again, proving his worth to Liverpool. But then two quick fire goals, brilliantly taken goals as well. Um, And after Nick Pope gets sent off, whilst everyone, I think the initial kind of reaction is first of all right, that's almost three points locked in. But then you want to see three, four, five. You want to see maybe the goal difference eaten into a little bit. However, for the rest of the first half, bar the gapo header from the free kick after the red card, yeah, you know, it was Newcastle with the chances, wasn't it? It was you know, Sam Maximan having a shot tipped onto the bar, it was Dan Burn hitting the bar. Um and then in the second half, really, aware Liverpool's chances kind of came as the game opened up. Um, you know, Nunez's chance saved, Jota could and maybe should have had a hat-trick. Um and at the same time, obviously the Wilson chance came at a crucial stage and it was another brilliant save from Allison. So I think the way I reflected on it immediately afterwards. Uh, with with a couple of friends was very frustrating, very frustrating in that would have liked more, but ultimately at this stage of the season in the circumstances Liverpool are in, it was all about the three points no matter how they came. And ultimately, as I say, I'm happy with calling it a frustrating win because ultimately the word win is involved in that sentence. Of
0: course, and um, you know I, I think the context here is you you know you come into it and. You're expecting to have to really grind this one out because of Newcastle's defensive record. I mean, the stats were insane. I mean, just a few off the top of my head, I think they had the best defensive record in the league. They still do. I think it was 11 conceded before uh, before yesterday in 22 matches, or 13, sorry, in 22 matches before yesterday. Um, hadn't obviously lost a, a home game since Liverpool. I beat them in April. Um, they hadn't, I think they had, they'd only conceded one goal at home since October. Um, early October as well. So, you know, you're up against the best events in the Premier League and you're away from home and, you, you know, you, you become the first team to score twice against them since yourselves, really, back in August. Um, so I think, yeah, it's got to be placed in that context and you're thinking that it isn't necessarily going to be about, you know, going there and outclassing them. It's going to be more a case of, like, you know, just make sure you, you, you get the result, get the three points, and we did that albeit in very different circumstances to what we kind of envisioned. I mean, my three ready view would be two sublime moves because that for me should be the focus at how Liverpool, when it was eleven against eleven, and I know Allison had to make a big save, obviously to keep it at nil nil, but but those two attacks and the subtleties of those two attacks to break down that Newcastle defence, I think um Liverpool really needs to be applauded for that. and um, an attack that sucks dysfunction all, all season. Some um, of its best play that 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 we've seen. I mean, the first goal. I think the the sort of subtle subtle detail is is the rotation on that right hand side where Fabinho vacates space and, and opens it up for for Trent to almost have that whole area to survey the pitch in the middle and and he picks out Nunez who's made a good run. You can also see on sort of the left hand side, Robertson is kind of awaiting the switch so he makes a run and that distracts Trippier, giving more space for Nunez. Obviously then. The finish and the touch brilliant from him um and the second goal i think you're looking at kind of first of all the turn from by um in, in the run-up i mean i've seen him compared to tiago wijnaldum and busquets <laughs> all, all, all because of that one turn trying to get um,
1: a name that encompasses all three
0: yeah brilliant piece of play um and and then also, I think how Salah is is aware of of Gakpo's run. You, you know, you see him kind of like look to the side um, just before he plays the pass, um, and is able to. It, it's it's a brilliant ball. I don't think people have kind of given the pass enough credit, really. Um, it's like, it's like
1: Mane against United last season for yeah. Salah's first at Anfield, just that yeah. first time over the top, and probably take a finish from Gakpo as well. And I prefer probably your way of you know you got to look at the positives, haven't you? Of course, yeah. you can look at obviously the frustrations, but absolutely, ultimately, two brilliant goals have, have sealed it.
0: Yeah, I I literally made that um comparison to the Mane one. It kind of gave me sort of flashbacks to it, and um and yeah. So f- so for me, you know, if we focus on on that kind of attacking side, you know, it, it was brilliant, and we should have scored more afterwards. But you know, th- that quality was what made the difference in the end. Quality that Newcastle ultimately didn't show when they had their own chances. Um, I mean you look at the stats and it isn't great you've got you know 14 14 shots there or to our 13 i mean to have fewer shots than the team who had 10 men for what 70 minutes of a game um not great and uh also 1.6 xg against um against 10 men is also a worry um i i, I think it's more difficult sometimes with, with 10 men than than it seems because you know all the, the pressures on you to the team is, is completely freed of that and obviously, you know, being away from home against a decent side, things like that. I mean, they're all kind of excuses you can make. It, it should have been a lot better. Um and obviously we are indebted to Allison and and that is who we'll kind of talk about next. I mean, probably in a weird sense, Liverpool's best player yesterday. Um, which you wouldn't have thought given that like you said, Chris, that we probably expecting Liverpool to to run up quite a big margin the way it was looking. But no, he's he's someone who's potentially kept this from becoming a um a bit of a embarrassing result you know if you drop points in that game you know it it really is a bit shameful
1: that's why like moments like earlier you know, earlier last month when you made the mistake for for Guedes's goal in the cup tie in that moment you can't forgive those kind of moments because they are awful but over the course of this season there's a very valid argument to call him Liverpool's player of the season And I remember Pepe Reina, when he was given Liverpool's player of the season, I think back in the early 2010s. And he said that he didn't want the award because it meant like he had to do more work or it meant the team hadn't done as well and things like that. But his awareness is incredible, Alison. I said a good few podcasts ago that I've never had to describe Alison Becker as busy but this season we have had to and for anyone that's maybe accused him of you know being a bit of a passenger at times or not being as alert he's proven all that wrong this season I'm not saying he's been utterly perfect because no no goalkeeper no footballer is utterly perfect but he's been absolutely brilliant and Pretty much faultless by comparison to a lot of others. I mean that save. Only when you see, only when you see the save from almoron from the reverse angle, do you realize how good a save it is. You know, he's the whole you know, starfish, if you like, just making sure he's got something spread out with it, with his arms, just to just to stop a, a shot going back across him. Um, even with Wilson's, I'm not sure it was overly. I'm not sure what direction the ball was going in, but ultimately it's a good save with his feet. And the save from St Maximan as well to tip it onto the crossbar, that came at a crucial period as well because I'm not sure Sir Maximan quite did enough to earn Man of the Match as he did in, in, in some other quarters, but he probably was Newcastle's most lively threat and Maximan is, is like easy. he's alive, why? You give the ball to him and he, you just don't know what, what he's capable of doing. And that is why Alisson Becker is just such a crucial part of this Liverpool team and It was yes. Whilst it was a clean sheet, it wasn't the solid clean sheet that we've seen so much of in the last few years. But ultimately, it's the first clean sheet away from home in the Premier League since the Merseyside Derby at the start of September. And I think, as Virgil Van Dijk pointed out um, yesterday, that that, that's a massive step in itself as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, with with Allison and that save, I think he is. One of the best ever. I mean, he's one of the best ever. Full stop. But in in particular, when it comes to um those sort of close range one v ones, um yeah, really, you know, and and I think and I think across the board, th- there's no other goalkeeper that I'd swap him for. I mean, he is sort of the the perfect goalkeeper for for the for the age. Really, I mean, with that ability to sort of bail the team out, allowing you to play aggressively to put him in one one v one situations. Um, and also, obviously, the, his abilities on the ball, which he showed again with the past to Salah. That forces the forces the panic, forces the uh, confusion that leads to the uh, red card for Pope. So, yeah, definitely Liverpool's player of the season. So, why, you'd rather think where well, Liverpool would be without him, um, certainly. And, you know, we're, we're looking at a win here. That's put us back back into top four contention, you'd say. But whether we'd... Of any remote hope of that it's probably doubtful uh, without his contribution up to this point. Um and weirdly, you know, Allison's been, I think, in the team of the season a couple of times where when he's not really had anything to do. Um, but maybe he'll be in there this year for 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 other reasons. Obviously beyond well, yeah. the Liverpool's best.
1: The the, um, the goal prevention uh stats will have gone up <laughs> yeah. yesterday as well. interesting interesting to see how many he's on actually. I think he he is still probably top, I'd imagine, in terms of yeah. goal prevention. But um yeah, he is, you know, a, a class above. And it's interesting you say about in terms of choosing someone above him, you need someone that was markedly above him. And I just don't think there's a goalkeeper out there in that in that bracket.
0: Yeah, and and to touch on your uh, point about the goals prevented, I'm on FB ref now. Um, it's up to nine point three prevented wow. this season, and wow. um, next best is, is Kepa with a six point eight. So, um, yeah, that, that's that just uh, really put into perspective, I guess. Um, another player I want to talk about um, is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, set up that goal, like I said earlier, uh, for Nunez. That's, if you count the assist in the derby for Gakpo, which ha- it hasn't actually been given to him for reasons I don't really understand. Um, oh, yeah, I've but, seen a
1: lot, a lot of kick-off in the FPL community about that.
0: Yeah, rightly so, to be fair. Um But that's four assists in eight games um, for Trent. And is it fair to say that he's sort of on the way back to his best? I don't think we're looking at the best version of Trent just yet, but is he kind of quietly improving after what was a really, really tough start to the season for him?
1: I think so. I think we're seeing someone that's finding his passing boots again. We're finding someone that's got the confidence to make those passes again because. Say for example, even even the defensive drivers game, I thought he was quite good. So Dwight McNeil in the derby uh, yesterday, I think Salah doubled up on him uh, with so doubled up with him on to so Maximan a few times on that uh, on Liverpool's right hand side, Newcastle's left hand side because I think you do need two players to be able to cope with the unpredictability of and Maximan. But in terms of going forward, it's interesting because even myself, I've been an advocate of the whole midfield talk and, and things like that. But you see yesterday the pass that he delivers to Nunez is the typical kind of discussion that we have about Trent Alexander-Arnold, in that him playing at right-back and the movement of the team then allows him to move into central midfield to make passes like that. And I think, even, even say against, uh, against Wolves, when everything that could have gone wrong did, He nearly set up Nunez with a fantastic pass in that game, and that would have made it 2-1 and that gone gone away. So I think we're seeing someone that his awareness is picking back up, his confidence is picking back up. Um, He was involved in a number of breakaways yesterday as well, so that gives me the idea that he's more confident moving forward. I think the addition of Bucetic is a big part of that, because I think Bucetic's quality in the midfield has given Alexander-Arnold more license now to do what he's so good at doing. Um, and I think we'll only see, hopefully, more of that to come because, um, you know, just a quick side note, she's a starting midfielder now for Liverpool. The way he's been a revelation in midfield, has just been fantastic. And as I say, it's, it's complemented Fabinho, certainly. It's complemented Trent Alexander-Arnold. Andy Robertson as well is, is having a new lease of life recently. Not that I think... I'd say maybe he's been restricted, to be honest with you. But I'm seeing a lot more adventure from from Robertson in, in recent games as well. Um, but yeah, back to Alexander Arnold. Yeah, I think we're certainly we're certainly seeing a better Trent Alexander Arnold than we were seeing in the first half of the season. That, that's that's beyond doubt. Um, and hopefully he can continue it because an effective Trent Alexander Arnold is a difference maker for Liverpool.
0: Absolutely. And um, but by way of a couple more honourable mentions. I think Nunez obviously ending that, that goal drought, stretching back to um, the Wolves FA Cup game at Anfield and then, you know, he hadn't scored in the premises before the World Cup. Um, loved,
1: how, loved how loved how emphatic the finish was as well.
0: Yeah, and I enjoyed the celebration too, you know, it really yeah. emphasised how much it um it means to him. Let's hope that the shoulder injury isn't too bad. I mean, it, it's a it's a big worry. We are recording that, you know, nine o'clock on sunday morning so we don't know yet what's happening with that so we won't really get into it too much just in case he's going to be out for a while um and then Gakpo, obviously with with a goal too people said after the derby that now that he's got that goal watch him kind of um you know watch the damn burst and hopefully it's another step towards that but before we move on to uh real madrid chris as we're going to in a second um let's talk about the top four race i mean it wasn't. I think it was only a couple of episodes ago. We were talking about how low Liverpool might finish, and all of a sudden, two wins. And, and this is the nature of the season, isn't it? You know, you start looking up the table. Um, Liverpool are still only eighth, but they are six points behind fourth place, Newcastle, having played a game less. The game in hand is Chelsea away, which is a kind of a strange one to judge because, you know, it's a big six team away from home, but there's also a Chelsea side that have lost eight times this season that had tenth place themselves and um obviously were beaten by the bottom team in the league, Southampton uh, yesterday. So it's hard to to gauge that maybe. But yeah, I mean how are we feeling about the top four prospects now?
1: A lot better than a couple of episodes ago, as we were discussing. Um because the influence, obviously, of the bodies coming back, a few players hitting form. Um, even you look around Liverpool yesterday. Brentford, Brentford dropped points. Fulham beat Brighton as well, so leapfrogged them. That was uh, that was XGFC being back, by the way. I think uh, Brighton almost had two better XG than Fulham, but it was a smash and grab and a great finisher, Manuel Solomon at the end. Um, you know. I wouldn't say confident as such, just just because Newcastle have still uh, had only lost once all season. But going into the game, you know, it wasn't lost on me that this was a Newcastle team that only scored. They'd only scored three in the last six games. They hadn't. they drawn the last three. Bournemouth should have beaten them the last week. Trippier had a or Trippier cleared a shot off the line from Solanke in the last minute. So it was a Newcastle team that I think. There's been some fragilities because they started the restart with a 3-0 win at Leicester. I think everyone kind of thought, oh, they're going to just follow on. But it's it's been far from playing sailing for them ever since. Um, got a mention of, as well who could well be in goal for them at Wembley. <laughs> and uh, Laura's Carius. it's funny how one red card can plunge your team into a goalkeeper crisis. Uh, and then you've got Tottenham, who I know I know there's a lot of negativity around the fan base at Tottenham at the moment. Um, even with a rumored bid for them potentially coming in, Larissa's is obviously out for two months. Benton Cur out for the season, which I think is a massive factor. We'll wait and see how they get on against West Ham. Of course, later today, as you say, we're recording early on the Sunday morning. Um, but all, all we can say is just just keep winning because it's it, it's two games next week. It, it's Palace and Wolves within the space of a couple of days, um, which again could completely change the outlook again, but six points from those two games and then you know you you're really looking up the table because then you'd be level on points with Newcastle if, if both of those were wins. So it's funny how a season can kind of turn, but the bodies come back as a big factor. As you say, hopefully Nunez's injury is not bad. Uh great to see Gakpo hit in form. Um I think we are all finally seeing you know player you know players adapt at different rates and I think people just got to accept that now. But given the age of social media, there's so much trigger, tweeting going on and things like that. But yes, absolutely. The the prospect of battling for the top four is much more real than a couple of weeks ago.
0: I think that, that's really the, the best way to sum it up. Um, and with that, we will switch attention to the Champions League game against Real Madrid um, on Tuesday night at Anfield. Similar question really, Chris. You know, how much of your confidence levels changed for this one in the past um in the past week or so? Is, is it now a case of looking at this game with excitement when you know otherwise you might have been looking at it with a little bit of dread?
1: I think when you get to the Champions League knockout stages to play the politicians' answers, I think I think you've got to be excited regardless. But I, I I know what you mean because Going into it with two wins is so different than going into it off the back of the run just beforehand with three defeats and four in the Premier League. And Real Madrid are far from flawless as well. Um, they they ground out hard for it, 2-0 in Osasuna. Yesterday, two late goals as well. But it's not that long ago they lost 1-0 at Mallorca, in which they missed a penalty. Um, such are the standards of Real Madrid, I think. They'll be Disappointed with the La Liga season so far, they're five points off Barcelona. As things stand, Barcelona playing Cadiz tonight at the new champion. You would imagine that they'd win that, given that they've only conceded one goal at the new Campion La Liga all season, which was a penalty. Um, so it's just the kind of standards they set. Because let's not forget, they're still they've still just won the World Club Cup. So, you know, it's still a season with a trophy for Real Madrid anyway, before we even get into the the latter stages of the season. But I think the main frustrations for them, because I watched them in the uh, Super Cup final against Barcelona. Barcelona ripped them apart out in Saudi Arabia. I thought Barcelona were fantastic. Um, I think there's a frustration from Real Madrid in that Barcelona have been allowed to create this lead Given all the problems that have gone on in Barcelona, the fact they've practically mortgaged their future on winning trophies, on being successful in order to get players in. Whereas Real Madrid obviously have yeah, the depth and quality is incredible. Yeah, I think we've we have we have talked about Liverpool's planning being a tad frustrating recently. We you look at Real Madrid when Close and Modric move on. Realistically, I know Camavinga and many play anyway, but you've got Choumene and Camavinga to kind of slot into those positions anyway. So their their plan, their planning has been really good, um, even if there are frustrations. So it, 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 it's even if the form had not been great, it's it's a bit silly to not look forward to Real Madrid at Anfield if you get my drift, because you, know, you, you you live for these moments and you've got to treasure these moments. and they're, they're, That's one of the reasons why I was so against the Super League when it was being discussed, because the whole idea of Liverpool, Real Madrid and everyone else playing each other you know, year after year after year, that's fine, obviously, domestically. But in Europe, what makes these games so massive is that you're not guaranteed to play Real Madrid every season. You're not guaranteed to play Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Paris, Saint-Germain, Juventus, all you know, these names, you're not guaranteed to play them season after season. So that's what makes games like this. I don't know, obviously, there was a final last year, but a two-legged affair against Real Madrid, You know, it just takes you back to 2009, just how special that two-legged tie was as well, at the same stage of the competition. So absolutely, it's a tie that I'm looking forward to. And ultimately, you know, you've got to go into it. There's no point in being scared. Um, Go into it and, and see what happens. And you know, I've seen a lot of people saying they wouldn't be surprised Liverpool would over two legs. So you know, let, let's see what happens on uh, on Tuesday, and obviously take that to the Bernabeu.
0: I think you know you look at the final last season, um, and Liverpool went into that I think as as favourites by a decent margin, um, really. And there's something more reassuring as going into it as as clear on the dogs. I mean, we played them in. 2021 um, season where we were really struggling Um, and obviously the final in 17-18. I feel like now we're actually bigger underdogs than we were in both of those seasons based on how this year has gone and people might disagree with that and think that the season when we had all the injuries was, um, was bigger in that respect but there is something reassuring about that because you know Real Madrid have had this ability to kind of just like defy Defy expectations, defy the the form book, but I don't feel like there's any pressure on Liverpool in this tie. I honestly don't, um, because people aren't necessarily regarding us as a serious Champions League contender anymore, given the way the season's gone, and that's obviously fair enough. Um, but but that means I can be, feel a little bit more kind of relaxed and optimistic about the tie. I think I'd, I'd almost. In a certain way, it's it's better to to be like that, since so to go in and, and to feel that bearing the expectation, um, and obviously you know the fact that we have this time is is getting to play them um, at Full Anfield, which we haven't been able to do since you know two thousand two thousand and nine. Like you say, one of kind of the the great Liverpool games of my childhood. That one I remember it really fondly. So I remember um, I think the commentary for uh, was it I think Gerard made it four 0 on the night or something. Um,
1: it was uh, top, top. Torres Gerard Gerard the center,
0: Yeah just the saying a pop yeah he <laughs> popped up with a couple of goals in that spell yeah which is quite random um but yeah it was um that was a really special one I mean I, I don't think we're going to necessarily repeat it here but um you feel as if This Liverpool team you know Carlo Ancelotti remember called it predictable you know if you have you have Núñez in there um on top of everything else I think a little bit more predictable a little bit more chaotic and hopefully that can be something that does you know disrupt Real Madrid more and yeah it's weird you, you kind of feel like quietly confident in it in a in a strange way for it despite the apparent um gulf between the two sides when you look at their relative league positions but I was just going to ask as the next thing Chris where do you think the tie is going to be won and lost over the two legs
1: if you've asked me this a week or so, I mean to be to the extent or to an extent rather, I'd say maybe the midfield is still the answer. Um don't wrong, Liverpool's midfield has improved markedly. Um I still think Fabinho is a little bit of a way off his best. Uh, well, quite a way off his best. Um, but as I as I said, percentage has been wonderful there. I think Henderson's brought the leadership back in. Um and I think you saw that's the point, actually, I was going to make. I was a little bit surprised how early the substitutions came yesterday, given that the game was still 2-0 at the time. Um, and you know, Newcastle was still creating chances. So that, that's why I thought might stayed out for another few minutes. Um, but the substitutions have were made, and for Bissetic to come off, for Henderson to come off, you'd think those two are nailed on to start uh, against Real Madrid now. Um and fully warrant their places as well. I think in a lot of other areas, I think the teams are quite well matched. Two top-quality goalkeepers, um, Courtois came back in. I know Lunin's played the last few games, but Courtois came back in last night. Um, The defence, I'd say, in terms of if you look at the individuals, I'd say, obviously, I'd say Trent has different qualities to Carvajal, but if you look at the back four, I'd say they're all pretty man for man, quite similar in many ways. The midfield, Modric and close are two of the best midfielders of our generation, without a shadow of a doubt. They're just wonderful, wonderful players into their 30s now, mid to late 30s, and they're still running games with ease. Um, Then you look up front, uh, I think Vinicius Jr., because Alexander-Arnold got asked about Vinicius Junior last season as well, just before the Champions League final, and I think that could be a key battle. And in the same way that Salah worked so hard to double up on Sir Maximan last night, I would expect him to have to work hard to double up on Vinicius Junior just because Vinicius Junior is a bit different to Sir Maximan. He's a lot more direct. I watched the game against Valencia a couple of weeks ago, and he scored a great goal in that game. Um, But there was one key moment where he just knocked the ball and he ran and he got fouled, and that is Vinicius Jr. He doesn't mess about, no fancy step-overs, maybe he doesn't beat a man and look to beat him again, that kind of thing. He will be very, very direct, and Alexander-Arnold will know that. So I think that is where arguably the most key battle is, Vinicius Jr. against Trent Alexander-Arnold. And I think if Trent Alexander can win that battle, you know, Liverpool... Would very much be, be in with a shout. I think he might be a little bit less adventurous than recently, just because of Vinicius's pace on the counter attack. He is frightening in that regard. Um, but yeah, I think I'm not sure. We'll just have to check on Karim Benza to see on his fitness, because I know Rodrigo started last night uh, for, for, for Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, I think if you had to if you had to ask me exactly where we won and lost, I'd say the battle will be down that down Liverpool's right-hand side, did left with Champions Alexander-Arnold against Vinicius Jr.
0: Yeah, Vinicius, a, a scary prospect and that's even before you consider that. Obviously, he scored in the Champions League final and and scored twice, I think, um, when they beat us 3-1 at their kind of yeah. training ground in uh, 2021.
1: I maintain when when he scored twice in that quarter-final tie, he had not had a good season and I was looking at him thinking, you know, he's a young lad and I know there's a lot of hype about him, but I think he'd only scored six goals that entire season or something by the end of it, and then last year 40 plus goal and assist contributions so that just shows you just how how he's just elevated himself to a different level, obviously he started for Brazil now, Neymar has said that he wants Vinicius Junior to have the number 10 shirt after he retires from international Football, so that just tells you how highly Vinicius Junior is thought of, certainly in the Brazilian ranks, and yeah, you know he's played a lot of games for Real Madrid already. I think I think I heard he's already played two hundred games for Real Madrid or something, Vinicius Junior, which is terrifying for a lad of his age. Um, an incredible, incredible talent. So for me, yeah, that that that's probably the key, uh, the key part of the game.
0: Yeah, I I think you know there's a case to me maybe that that tie was, was what he needed to uh, almost launch his Real Madrid career, in a way. Um, and you know, in terms of other factors that might play a part, you, you wonder if you know, will they miss the, the ex- sort of I do know, it's a cliche, but will they miss the experience and house of, of Casemiro in their midfield? You know, someone who's been such a key part of, you know, these Real Madrid teams that have won the Champions League, not in there this year, obviously, still so, sailed through the group, but you know, is he gonna is it in those knockout ties where he really makes a difference? That'll be an interesting thing to watch. Um and also the, you know just look at the dynamics of the tie. You mean you know, if you're Real Madrid, you're saying, okay, at Anfield, let's get through the first twenty minutes or so when the crowd's gonna be at, at its absolute peak. and um, if we can do that we can start to, you know, settle the game down and um, you know, push for a results ourselves really, because you know they'll I think they'll Fancy themselves as, as being a better team than Liverpool at the moment, so I think um, they're probably going to look to uh, that. That's how they look to manage the uh, the first leg tie. I remember a game against Bayern Munich um, in the season we won the Champions League. We drew 0-0 in the first leg at Anfield. One of those times that we have played the first leg at home, and that might be the kind of blueprint that that Real try to implement here, whilst obviously looking to to get a goal um, themselves.
1: I think I think with that as well, the away goal was still in um, in act then. Yeah. So at least it, that that was a funny one from Bayern Munich, as as you say, because I remember being there and thinking, are these are Bayern Munich actually trying to score <laughs> in, in this game? Um, but then obviously that, that was one of the best Liverpool away performances. Not again, admittedly, not not the best Bayern team we've ever seen, but that was still one of the best local performances away from home in the Champions League. I think we've ever seen. Uh, that that season, so it's very interesting in that obviously there's, there's no away goals now, and I've literally just thought as well if it's tight going back to the burnabout, hopefully Luis Diaz will be back available, which is in itself a massive factor for the rest of Liverpool season if they can close in on the top four and, and make things tight and you know we we know how big he can be and everybody else knows how big he can be and um, I think if Liverpool can get themselves into a really good position over the next week or so in the Champions League and those two Premier League games. With Luis Diaz coming back, hopefully at the start of March, certainly for the second leg, I think we could be talking about a very exciting end to the season.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Diaz, you know, I remember the Champions League finals. It's a Carvajal's credit. He played brilliantly against them that day. Um, And we kind of looked to to that battle as one that we could really exploit. Carvajal won it. And, you know, can Diaz sort of uh, get revenge for that if he is fit for the second leg? I think, you know, we talk about the power of Anfield and I genuinely believe, and I've said this for a long time, that that heritage, that kind of a, an intangible um, confidence drawn from history plays a part in these Champions League games. And Liverpool know that better than most. But the one team where they have the ultimate aura in, in these uh, ties is Real Madrid. And we saw that most visibly last season um, in those three knockout ties with the amount of comebacks. Um, so for Liverpool, if you can kind of get a one-two goal win in the first leg, obviously that would be an amazing result. But then you're going to the Bernabeu and then you're going to have to deal with not only playing away from home against a team who remains one of the best in Europe, but you're going to have to deal with that kind of unshakable confidence that they will still have, that you know they they could... You know when because i was talking to a friend about this the other day and if a would win this first like three four nil and i'd still be going to the ban and i'd be really really nervous because of what what they've shown they can do with that stadium and um and yeah so listen it sometimes you say if you win a first leg the job's only half done it i feel like only sort of a quarter done here and um, i think with the with the second leg like that that is to follow so that that's going to be a crucial element i think but last thing on on rail um What are we thinking team-wise you know you mentioned a few changes um to the the side earlier um or certainly substitutions i should say um with a few uh with a long way to go in that newcastle game with with an eye potentially on this one um so so how would you be looking to line up i mean does the prospect like you say the very real prospect now that by starts against real madrid which is a, a you know huge deal for him the biggest game he's started so far and uh, obviously, we don't know about about Nunez yet, so maybe how you line up with with him without him, please.
1: Yeah, for a young Spaniard as well. You know, a
0: massive, massive honour for him and
1: uh, Scout Spaniard, perhaps. But um, yeah, I think the changes spoke volumes, I really did. Because I was talking just pre match as well about the decision to drop Matip um, over Gomez and. To be honest, I think that was warranted. Um, I don't think Gomez has had the best of times recently, but I think Matip's had an even worse time, to be honest, especially in the Wolves game. Uh, I thought he was just a bag of nerves. I and mean, that's coming from someone who's a massive Joel Matip fan. I think he's arguably one of the most underrated players of this Liverpool era under Jurgen Klopp, um, certainly from outside the club. Anyway, in terms of lineups, I would genuinely consider if Nunez is available unchanged, because you know, as I say, it's got so much confidence at the moment. We we've talked so much this season about chopping and changing, um, maybe players not getting used to each other, those kind of things. You know, the front three as a whole yesterday really gelled, which I really liked. Um, and I, you know, Nunez's qualities, and I, we we're starting to see people that have been criticising him and all these things, we're starting to see them now recognise what he's good at. Yes, I'm not calling him the most clinical finisher in world football, but what he does off the ball at times is so important because if you're a defender and you're up against someone like him and you don't know what they're going to do next, you hate it. You absolutely hate it, especially someone that's so physical as well. So if he's available, fingers crossed, uh, I would probably go unchanged. If he isn't, the only change that I'm considering would be for Nunez. I think Gakpo warrants another. I think what he warrants his place in the team, which makes me think, really, that I, Firmino, in terms of Gakpo out on the left hand side, which we saw him. I know him and Nunez have been to change between the left hand side and the central role, and I would like to see Nunez more central going in going in the future. But Gaspar on the left-hand side came in to score that goal yesterday, which is the left-hand side is where he plays his best football, I believe. Firmino in that false nine kind of role, and it's a game for clever footballers. And there aren't many footballers with more in-game intelligence than Roberto Firmino. And I'd love to see him just dropping into that little hole, picking up places, picking up positions, for others to run off, and just the, the classic Roberto Firmino role. So, that's not to criticise Yogo Jota, because I think if he had a few more minutes in his legs, I think he'd at least have scored his first header yesterday. Um, it's great to see him back as well. But I think if it, if it was one change with Nunez out, I would go personally with Firmino and move Gecko out to our
0: left-hand side. Yeah, Firmino had a weird cameo yesterday. He had some really nice moments of knitting the play together, but then gave the ball away really poorly a couple of times too. Um, but I would probably agree with with him being the one to to come in if Nunez is unavailable. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see how we'll see what happens with that. I think we'll probably find out in club's uh, press conference on Monday if we don't hear anything today on that. Um, and yeah, I just think you know for for Baisesic to to play in this game, I mean, it's huge that Tiago is not not available. Uh, We can't forget that. Um, Our our, our best midfield player, uh, losing out him for this game, is is massive. And I think it almost is going to lend itself to a sort of 2017-18 style knockout tie where it is um, a little bit frenetic and it's about kind of um, us trying to be disruptive in the midfield more so than anything else and and, um, and breaking things up rather than necessarily uh, winning that battle trying to compete with them um technically which we were maybe more able to do in the uh in the final last year for instance and uh yeah um and we'll see how we'll see how that one goes then um I think that'll about wrap us up for, for this episode. Um I, was, I wanted to say on Bisector actually that Real Madrid actually tried to sign him as well. So nice little nice little narrative there. I think they tried signing themselves if he go as they ban United. So hopefully uh Liverpool can show them what they're missing. But yeah that will That will be all for for this episode. um, Our Newcastle recap and Real Madrid preview. You'll be able to hear us again after that Real Madrid game. Hopefully we'll be looking at Liverpool having the advantage heading into the second leg. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this podcast and and you're listening on audio, please give it a positive review. Follow the podcast, etc. And share it with any friends as well. And we're also uploading podcasts to YouTube. So you can like, comment, subscribe, please on there. We'd really, really appreciate it. But yeah, like I say... I'll be back um, after the Real Madrid first leg and we'll see you then.